0: Hey, welcome to PT Snacks Podcast. This is Casey, your host. And if you're tuning in for the very first time, what you need to know is that this podcast is meant for physical therapists who are looking to grow your fundamentals, but also do it in bite-sized segments of time. And today we've been talking about tissue healing, um, again, from a bird's eye view perspective, but today we're going to be covering tendons. And not just the anatomy of a tendon, how it heals when it's healing as you would expect it to, but also some things that can go wrong and how we address it in physical therapy. Are we going to cover every single aspect in this episode? No, because it would no longer be a snack. So we'll keep continuing on with this, but if you need to review tissue healing overall, go back to episode three. And then also um, go back to episode 25 on Achilles tendinopathy if you want an example of how we as physical therapists treat one common injury with tendons. But before we move on, I do want to clarify a few things with nerve healing. So keep in mind that nerves are way more complicated than we give them credit for. And I'm referring back to last episode, episode 37 on nerve healing. And remember, we have our three categories of nerve injury, neuropraxia, exonotimesis, and neurotmesis. And those are all named based on the tissue that's affected in a neuron. Now, those different groups can line up with the severity of symptoms just based on, again, what tissue is affected in the first place. So, um, for example, like in carpal tunnel, if it's, Symptoms are low severity, transient, um, more like short-term. It can be, yes, more like neuropraxia, but if it's become chronic and the symptoms are becoming more constant, um, it may more likely be in the category of exonotomesis, and that's just because of a long period of time of compression lends to a greater likeliness that more tissue injury has occurred. Um, and therefore transitioning into a different category with a different definition on what is affected. Okay. So nerves, again, are more complicated than we give them credit for. I don't want to overcomplicate things, but first and foremost, I take this very seriously in terms of the information I give you, that it is correct and that it is something that is beneficial. And so um, hopefully this clears up any questions that you may have had. And if you have any questions, you can always reach out to me. Okay. But today we are going back to our tendon healing. So first of all, what is a tendon? So basically our tendons connect our muscles to our bones. They allow us to basically transmit force that is generated by a muscle to a bone so that we can move. But they also help to buffer external forces to limit muscle damage, as well as helping with temporary energy storage and proprioception. So they have a pretty high mechanical strength, pretty good flexibility, and optimal level elasticity. They're viscoelastic, so they do have stress relaxation and creep. Some of you guys might be th- picturing that uh, stress stress strain curve um, that a lot of people cover in PT school. And there's a certain amount of mechanical load that they can accept while maintaining their normal tissue structure before damage occurs. So in a tendon, they can be rounded cords, they can be bands, they can be flattened ribbons. It really just depends on what that tendon's function is and where it is. Okay, so form follows function. Now, they're made up of tenoblasts and tenocytes within the extracellular matrix. So you have tenoblasts are basically like immature tendon cells. They're young, they are. They have a high metabolic activity, high energy, just kind of like a, a little young toddler running around like crazy, um, except for they're spindle-shaped with lots of cytoplasmic organelles. So what happens eventually is they become elongated and then aged tenoblasts turn into tenocytes. And they have a slightly decreased metabolic activity compared to the tenoblasts, just like adults, we get tired. And then... They help to synthesize collagen and all the components of the um, extracellular matrix. And tenocytes have they're they're active in their own energy generation. Can utilize aerobic Krebs cycle or anaerobic glycolysis or pentose phosphate shunt within themselves. But um, with age, those tenocytes kind of shift from aerobic metabolism to anaerobic energy production. And because of this and their low metabolic rate overall, they're able to carry loads and maintain tension for a long period of time without us worrying about ischemia or necrosis. So that low metabolic rate also has an impact on the rate of healing after an injury. So keep that in mind for the future. But essentially, think about how this affects tendons function in the body, right? So, these tenoblasts and tenocytes maybe make up like 90% of a tendon. And then the other 10% might be chondrocytes at the bone attachment and insertion sites and synovial cells at the tendon sheath and some vascular cells. So, in a tendon itself, there's layers upon layers upon layers that make up a tendon. Um, you can look this up on your own if you're curious, um, but just know that there's components within a tendon, um, which then becomes wrapped in a synovial sheath that helps to basically protect the tendon, okay? And so with the tendon, you have the tendon in the middle, and then it's got to attach to something, right? And so on one side, because we know it's like the connecting point between muscles and bone, at the bone side, it's called the osteotendinous junction. And this region has more of a dense tendon zone. It's got a fibrocartilage, mineralized fibrocartilage, and bone. But essentially, it just helps prevent the collagen fibers from bending, fraying, shearing, and also from failure. On the other end of the tendon, where the tendon connects to the muscle, it's called a myotendinous junction, which the names kind of give you a hint on where they are, right? Now, the collagen fibers, uh, they basically insert into deep recesses formed by myocyte processes that allow tension from the muscle fibers to be transmitted into the collagen fibers. And this helps to reduce tensile stress on a tendon with muscle contraction. But even though its architecture essentially allows for basically less of a problem area, less of a change in ability to accept force. It's still going to be the weakest part of the muscle tendon unit. In terms of blood supply, you know, blood is important for bringing nutrients, right? So there can be intrinsic systems at the myotendinous junction and osteotendinous junction. There's extrinsic system of the paratendon or synovial sheath, as well as other sources but keep in mind, tendon vascularity can be compromised at junctional zones inside of torsion, friction or compression. Remember, this episode is very oversimplified. So depending on where the tendon is and what its function is is going to affect um, its blood supply, its capacity to heal and the type of healing that it undergoes. okay? Now, in terms of innervation, Tendon can be innervated from cutaneous, muscular, and peritendinous nerve trunks. There's sensory components within it, like our Golgi tendon organs. There's going to be the greatest number at the insertion of the tendons into the muscle, which is important because these organs basically help to inhibit muscle if the force that is undergone in a muscle is too much, it shuts down the muscle basically to protect it, to keep it from tearing. Because when you're doing something heavy lifting, like for example, let's say you're trying to pick up something really, really heavy. If it's extremely heavy, you're trying to contract comp- the muscle, but you're also putting a stretch on the tendon. And when it passes a certain point, then that, that tendon doesn't like it. And it tells the muscle, you need to chill out. Okay. So that's Golgi tendon organ. But of course, there's also unmyelinated nerve endings that act as nociceptors for pain, which we mentioned last episode, unmyelinated nerve ending fibers, um, the role of myelin in nerve conduction velocity. Okay, So, so far, you should have an understanding of why we have tendons in the first place and the very basic structures that make up a tendon. If you don't, just go ahead and hit rewind. But... The question now becomes how do they get hurt? And there's a lot of different ways. There can be trauma and there can be some insidious onset. There can be acute damage, there can be chronic damage. Okay, so when we're talking about trauma, you know, if you cut through something, it's probably not going to be good, right? So if we're talking about like the the flexor tendons in the hand, in food prep business, they're chopping, they accidentally cut themselves, that knife cut through, cuts through the tendon, actually a very common injury, or like in, in construction, that's a different type of injury rather than Achilles tendinopathy that is from chronic degeneration over time. They're at different locations, they have different purposes, they have different shapes and sizes, they're going to have different aspects that we need to consider for healing. Okay? But... Long story short, if we move past an acute laceration of flexor tendon injuries, um, we're going to spend the rest of this time kind of talking about more so uh, degeneration. Okay. So tendons are great for load. But when we load them more than their mechanical capacity, they don't like it. So if we're going back to that stress strain curve, there's a certain amount of strain that the tendon can undergo to where when it's removed the tendon's going to go back to its original shape. Now, microscopic failure happens when the strain exceeds 4%, but that's why we have things like Golgi tendon organs, right? Now, failure beyond 8 to 10% can occur rapidly, and the greatest risk for rupture is when the tension is applied quickly and obliquely, especially when A lot of our highest forces are seen during eccentric muscle contractions. So again, greater load than mechanical capacity can cause damage. Now the body is typically going to respond with either inflammation of the sheath, degeneration of the body, or a combination of both. But we see disordered healing when there's an absence of inflammatory cells, poor healing response, non-inflammatory, intratendinous collagen, degeneration, and fiber disorientation and thinning. So what we're going to cover is if there is an injury that happens, normal tendon healing response. In the process of tendon healing, you're going to have inflammation, proliferation, remodeling, and depending on where you read, these names might vary, but the sequence of events is similar. So in the first 24 hours, let's say there's in the inflammation process, There's going to be a ton of monocytes and macrophages that come. There's phagocytosis of necrotic material. They're basically, just like we mentioned in all the other tissues, trying to clear out the area to make way for new tissue to come. There is the initiation of angiogenesis, which is the increase in blood flow to an area so that the area can heal with better nutrients coming to the site and there's stimulation of tenocyte proliferation. Because remember, we, we talked about tenocytes help with synthesizing collagen and help assist with making basically new fibers. There's an influx of inflammatory cells that enter the healing site, lots of cytokines and growth factors that help with recruitment and proliferation of macrophages and resident tendon fibroblasts. But Keep in mind, regulated inflammation can be really helpful for repair, but when it's persistent, that, in, that can become damaging. Now, let's say we've cleared out all the junk. There's a lot of inflammation. Lots of cells come into the rescue to the site to basically make new things happen. Now we're in the proliferation phase that can last several weeks where fibroblasts proliferate. They start to produce, deposit, orient, and cross-link fibular collagens. There's a peak of synthesis of type 3 collagen that occurs, and they're going to get a contribution from infiltrating inflammatory cells, resident fibroblasts from the tendon surface or mid-substance, and tendon or marrow-derived mesenchymal stem cells. During this phase, there's a high water content in glycosaminoglycan concentrations. Say that five times fast, okay? So again, if I was just to restate it in a simplified version, we've cleared up the site. Now we're trying to lay down scaffolding so that we can start actually building up the rest of it. Now in the remodeling phase, usually after like six weeks or so, this can last many months up to a year. During this, the tissue is resized and reshaped. The repair tissue changes from cellular to fibrous, and there's going to be a high tenocyte metabolism because we are trying to make things happen, make things new or at least make things improved. Tenocytes and collagen fibers become aligned in the direction of stress, and then towards the end of the stage, tinnocyte metabolism and, va- and tendon vascularity start to decline. Because now we are trying to get back to a new normal. Okay, that's the ideal scenario. But in terms of the specifics of cellular events of healing, it really depends on the anatomy and the physiology of wherever the tendon injury is. There can be intrinsic healing and extrinsic healing. Intrinsic healing can happen with proliferation of the epitendon and endotendon tenocytes, which tend to have less complications. So we can think of this in like our flexor um, tendons in the hand. Extrinsic, um, those usually get healed by invasion of cells from the surrounding sheath and synovium. Though these tend to have more scar tissue formation and adhesions. Now, when tendon healing goes wrong, a lot of times we end up describing it as a tendinopathy. It's a generic description of clinical conditions around tendons that are caused from overuse. So an acute flare-up is tendinitis, but tendinopathy is disordered healing without inflammation. And the mechanisms aren't necessarily fully understood. There's several models out there how we try and... Basically, um, discover how tendons heal. A lot of them are based off of animal models, um, which aren't really perfect, but um, there is a lot of new research coming out. So keep that in mind. But typically in this area, there's hypercellularization in a disorganized region of tissue. So a lot of times when we're trying to treat it, you know, people will talk about creating more blood flow to the area with heat or dry needling, but there's there's already plenty of cells there, that's not really the issue. So then the question becomes how can we as PTs optimize healing? Well, tendons are largely influenced by their loading environments, and the specifics of how we load them depends on the tendon environment and the functional requirements. But if from a from a big picture, we as PTs want to focus on returning to function, not a change in histology, because we're probably not going to change the histology of that tissue. If someone has a tendinopathy, that area is going to remain disorganized. But our goal is to build the load capacity in the aligned matrix portion of the tendon, not to attempt to stimulate healing in the degeneration portion. So it's like treating the donut and not the hole. That's a phrase I got from a paper by Jill Cook. You have to load the tendon, but in a a manner where the tendon is ready for it. So that's why you'll see a lot of times in, in general protocols where we start with isometrics, which should improve the tendon loading. And then really after a week or two, you're transitioning to more strength training, building someone more towards speed and power and being able to get back to the sport. Because a lot of times what happens is when a tendon gets mad in the first place, there's, there might have been some sort of mismatch in the environment. Maybe they increased their activity too quickly or maybe they took a big break from exercising and then they went back to that at the same level that they left off with or maybe there's just a change in environment like maybe they've been running on the treadmill for a long time and then they decide to go to a summer camp where they're running on the sand every day and that's that's a totally different environment right so these are things that are important to ask your patients about now in terms of post ops how we load post op tendon repairs depends on the tendon environment and the functional requirements so uh, essentially you want to balance the negative outcomes of immobilization where they can have adhesions, load, repair, tissue, maturation, and joint stiffness, with the negative outcomes of loading too much, where they may have a rupture. Like, for example, a flexor tendon needs gliding and strength, digital function, so you don't want adhesions in that. Versus a rotator cuff repair, they might be immobilized for a certain period of time to prevent retears after repair, and then we start loading it. There's so many different protocols out there. Um, I'm not going to dive into that for this episode, but um, just keep in mind that tendons look different all over the body. We, a lot of times we only talk about particular ones, but um, the body is really fascinating in how form follows function. So hopefully this makes sense, guys. Um, essentially what you should have gotten that from this is what makes a tendon unique and what is its role. And then how do we address it? As always, if you have any questions, you can always reach out to me at ptsnackspodcast at gmail.com. And I would love to answer those questions, but you can also find me on Instagram at ptsnackspodcast. Go ahead and follow that. Or if you haven't followed the podcast, follow that too. If you like the show, write a review. That helps a lot or share with someone that you feel like would benefit from this. Um, if you want to support the show more fully, then what would really help is if you follow that link below to buy me a coffee. And even if it's just a little bit at a time, that just really helps me to cover my overhead. Support can be more than just monetarily, right? On top of that, if you need to get some CEUs, there's another link below. I know this is great. It's like Christmas, right? There's a link below for Medbridge, which Medbridge has. A ton of CE physical therapy courses. In fact, they have over 1,580 evidence-based physical therapy CE courses. Beyond that, they also have 7,000, a mere 7,000 specialized patient exercises that you can use whenever you need them, wherever you are. Um, They have interactive webinars by top industry leaders. They even have the first ever HEP patient mobile app that you can use with your patients. So, Take it from me, MedBridge has taken learning to the next level for over 200,000 PTs, OTs, ATs, SLPs, and nurses, as well as those they serve. So for a limited time, use the promo code PTSnacksPodcast to get $175 off your annual subscription. That's one year. This is insane. So follow that below if you need to get some new CEUs for your license. That's it for today, guys. I hope you learned something. And until next time.